You're listening to Screen Pass, Dirtbag. Welcome to Screen Pass, the show about football and popular culture. I'm Sheen, and with me as always is a man who always checks under the podium before using it, Justin Barber. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, Sheen. How you doing? I'm good. I'm excited to talk about our movie this week. I feel like this is perfectly in the wheelhouse for what we're trying to do here at 32-Bit. Me too. Yeah, me too. At first, I was a little bit hesitant on it, and uh, once we started diving in, it was just, it was kind of great to go down memory lane and pull some of this stuff together. Absolutely. Now, we are doing Police Academy, which you would have known if you've read the title of the episode. I watched one, I watched two, and I watched a bit of three in preparation for this. What did you end up watching? Exact same thing. I watched one, nice. I watched second. I thought I was going to get through three and I just kind of got distracted and pulled off. I got probably about 20 minutes in and just didn't find time to go back to it. And I thought it's fine. I've seen these movies plenty of times. I own all seven of them on DVD. Look at you. I have a box set. That came with a police light. <laughs> that's that's great. <laughs> we may differ in some of the opinions throughout this show. That I'm, I'm going to see that already, but that's uh, that's pretty wild. I don't think so, but yeah, it is a pride of my collection. The entire box set of Police Academy. I don't know if there are too many people who have Mission to Moscow or City Under Siege in their DVD collection. Right. I personally don't even remember Mission to Moscow at all. You know, I don't think I've actually ever seen it. I own it, but I'm not sure that I've seen it. I've certainly seen the first six. I've watched one, two, and three plenty of times. I've watched four a bit, and then uh, five and six, not so much, where they replace Mahoney with Serenity Now, Lloyd Braun from Seinfeld. That's right. the, the cool, young iconoclast. I think in the last one, it was he was replaced with someone else, even. It was like the other mm. smooth, smooth-talking white guy. <laughs> It's always kind of the same Mahoney-esque character. Yeah, they've got a formula and they, they stuck to it. He doesn't even have a name here. It's just in the last one is Michael Winslow, David Graff, Leslie Easterbrook, George Gaines, G.W. Bailey. Oh, no, there we go. Charlie Schlatter as Cadet Kyle Connors. There it is. Isn't that exciting? wonder what he went on to do. I could look, but I'm not going to. I think we're good. I think everyone's pretty good with that. I think I can speak for the world. So what's your relationship in general with Police Academy? Do you have any fondness for the series? I absolutely do. So as a child that was born in the 80s, you could not escape Police Academy. One was made every year. So it started in 84 and every <laughs> single year, 85 was Police Academy 2, 86 was 3, all the way up into 89. So the majority over half the 80s had Police Academy. And then in the 90s too, because they started to come out with an animated series. So I really, really did have a connection to it. I've seen all of them, except for probably Moscow, several times. I even started to get things confused when I went back on who was in it in what series kind of felt like Bobcat was in most of them. I even had action figures when I was young. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I forgot about them until I started looking into the movie. I was like, holy crap. I have these two. I had a LeVar Jones and a Mahoney and a Hightower action figures. Lavelle came with a giant bullhorn. Hightower came with like a little moped. They were really campy, but... <laughs> to me, that's kind of what this series is all about. It was a money-making machine. Certainly, they swung through the fences with it. They didn't really make that much money. The first one turned a profit, and I think the rest of them made about as much money as the first one did, if you put them combined. But they were throwing out... There was uh, My friend had the board game growing up. Uh, there was a video game. As you said, there was cartoons. There was a live-action series. It really was everywhere. And in fact, one of the stranger spin-offs is at Warner Brothers Movie World, Hollywood on the Gold Coast, a theme park in Australia. There was a Police Academy stunt show, which was still going up until 2014 and themed around these movies that I want. It's available on YouTube. I suggest watching it. Have you watched it? I watched about three quarters of it at work today. Yeah. It centers around there. They're kind of playing the characters in the movies and there's a, a Harris 
and his accent is appalling because <laughs> they're all Australian. They're all doing American accents. The the woman who plays Proctor, she's not too bad. This guy is drifting in and out like you wouldn't believe. This is like Kevin Costner playing Robin Hood bad. Uh, the guy who plays Lassard is quite good, but I would I remember going to see it as a kid when we went there. I would have been about 10 or 11. And already that was a long time removed when these movies were out. People were still nuts for Police Academy. Yeah, it really did have a large impact. I mean, like there was one every year. Mm. It was crazy. And a lot of the opinions, if you throw it out there, people will be like, oh, I like the first one. And then they kind of dismiss the rest. This is kind of like the stereotypical 80s movie or show. The 80s really were all about commodities, like whatever you could do with a commodity. It's like they didn't just make Ghostbusters. They made Ghostbusters into an animated series and multiple ones and lunchboxes and cartoons and toys and pajamas. It's like the same thing with Police Academy. It's the first one hit so hard And then everyone was like, all right, let's ride this out for the next decade. And that's really what they did. It's strange as well, because this is not, this first one is R rated. It's not a family film. There's, well, we'll get into this. I don't think it's as raunchy as maybe some of the other blue comedies of the time. It's not like a Porky's or something like that, where it's just wall to wall tits and ass. Right. There's certainly a good amount of 80s long butt in this. There's certainly a good amount of boobs in this and blue humor. But this is not something that I can see kids latching onto. And then when the cartoon rolls around, who's deciding that that's something their kids with no affection for the series are going to watch? The first one was rated R. The second one was rated PG-13. And then all the ones after that, I believe, were PG. Yep. And the 80s is kind of famous for that, too. It's almost like ratings kind of didn't matter back then to a degree. They were all over the place. Like Gremlins, when that came out, that was supposed to be a horror movie. It was made Mm. to be a scary movie, and it had such a good reception. And everyone, as a kid, I loved Gizmo. I love the Gremlins. It's a Christmas movie. They decided to go in the total opposite direction for number two and made it a comedy, a family comedy. That's where this came from. They started, they wanted to make an animal house. They wanted to make a Caddyshack. It really ended up, okay, well, the kids really like the noise of Lavelle Jones. It's like this goofy little slapstick thing that kids kind of really gravitated toward. They just leaned into it and went with it. Yeah, and I think you've hit on one of the points that I wanted to make, and that's about Jones, is we're kind of jumping all over the place, but I think if you talk about the characters of Police Academy, people go, I remember Mahoney, I remember Hightower, I remember the guy that makes the noises. Right. And Bobcat Goldthwait. Like, there's not too many other names that you're getting. You might get some, oh, I remember Hooks. But even, I'd said this plenty of times, I forgot about Fackler. Mm-hmm. I remember George Martin. Uh, that always quite enjoyed that element. In fact, speaking of accent slipping, there's uh, one in the film franchise himself. But even that, I didn't remember that Kim Cattrall's character was Karen Adams, any of that. You just remember the names of the actors, aside from the main couple. Tackleberry as well. Right. Yeah, speaking of Kim Cattrall in this, wow, smoking. She's mm. really attractive. And I think she was coming off Porky's, which I don't remember Porky's. I, I never saw Porky's. It was before my time. Police Academy's kind of coming off the cuff of that. I think they were trying to remake it. But I remember Kim Cattrall from Sex and the City, really. Yep. She's no Sharon Stone. Police Academy 4. Sharon Stone's in Police Academy. Yeah. Even as a kid, <laughs> she wasn't one of my young kid 80s crushes. There's a big joke in my family about Elizabeth Shue, because whenever yeah. I reference the hottest woman in the world, I'm always like Elizabeth Shue. And everyone's like, what? In the 80s, I loved her. She was in Back to the Future, Adventures in Babysitting. What else was she in? Oh, Karate Kid. Of course, the Karate Kid. Cocktail. Did you have any 80s crush stars? Might be giving myself up here. I wasn't born until 1990, so I missed all the 80s babes. We talked about this with our Super Bowl ads one. Elle McPherson was an early one for me, and obviously being Australian, felt a a sense of kinship there that maybe um, transcended the good looks. She might be the the first one. Alicia Silverstone. Oh, yeah, absolutely. uh, Certainly very early on. While we're in this sort of seedy underbelly, I feel like Sean Weatherly as uh, Karen Adams in the third one is probably the pick of the 
police academy ladies in the early films. I could see that. I think she definitely had a good look and she was kind of underrated as an actress. Kim Cattrall, she went on to do a, a lot of other stuff and obviously Sharon Stone was probably the biggest of the female interests. They certainly cast that role well. There's the bl- the leggy blonde in all of them. It's Kirkland in the second one. You could say that's Leslie Easterbrook throughout as the kind of ball breaker Callahan. So they they certainly knew what they were going for amongst the male audience. And as a, or as you said, the first one there's boobs. The second one I think in the first scene on the beach there's some boobs, and then after that no more boobs. Just eighties long butt. Yeah, the first one had, and it definitely speaks to the time frame. Just random boobs. They have a party on the beach, and there's a camera just showing like the bonfire, and then there's just ladies dancing in front of it, and they're topless. Or they, one of them gets right in front of the camera and takes off her shirt. It's just really pointless, uh, plot-driven boobs. Yeah. I've never really been to a party like that. Maybe the 80s were different. You've never been to a, a saxophone beach party with boobs and bonfire? That's how 80 this is. You've got a guy playing the saxophone. <laughs> yeah. It's like a bittersweet that I wasn't age-appropriate for those type of parties. It's like I kind of wish <laughs> I could just go to one now. But if those were all the parties, I'd be like, what is going on here? This has to stop. Bring on the 90s. This was all mid-80s. Or so I'm led to believe. And in fact, we've got a scene earlier as well, speaking of boobs, where Steve Gutenberg, Mahoney, is just watching women in the shower. Supposedly the hero of this franchise. He's very, in these early films, he is very much a sex pest. Lovable old Mahoney. He's just looking through the window, drinking a beer. Like, what kind (laughs) of beeping Tom? How is this acceptable? He's not even trying to hide it. That's just Mahoney. And why don't they have curtains or some sort of blinds on these windows in the shower? I... I don't know, whatever. Anyone walking by on the sidewalk could look in to see the shower. Yeah. The first thing he does is he, or when he gets to the Academy, is he harasses uh, Karen Thompson, Kim Cattrall's character. There's some harassment in the third one for sure with Karen Adams, Sean Weatherly. Yeah, he's watching women in the shower. And then, of course, Harris catches him and takes Mahoney's beer, has a sip. That's very of its time. You couldn't have that now in this sort of COVID world. You couldn't be drinking straight from other people's beer, and you certainly can't be watching women in the shower. That's information for all of you. If you're thinking about having a beer and looking through a neighbor's window, don't do it. That's uh, highly inappropriate. And you can hear more of these tips in our other podcasts, Life Tips, to get you through the day. (laughs) Not me too. So let's dive into this a bit more. But before we do, if you love the 80s, then you are going to love the show to be named later. That is Marcus Grant's love letter to all things weird from yesteryear. And if you love things being on beat, like the police officers in Police Academy, then make sure you never miss an episode of On Beat with Maddie Kroll and Calvin Steezy A. Smith Domingo. That is an amazing name. And they get the inside scoop on all 32 NFL teams from the people in the know. To never miss an episode of those, make sure you are subscribed at YouTube and to 32-bit on your favorite podcast platforms. We've also got lots of other great shows like It's a Vibe, Homebrew Your Own Beer, but they didn't fit my motif here. So the reason we're doing Police Academy tonight is because of Charles Aaron Bubba Smith Hightower. So popular was he during test screenings, they bumped him up to second on the bill. He's the second name up after Steve Gutenberg. He was the last actor hired. And I didn't realize there were people with the surname Hightower until Dante Hightower came into the NFL. Yeah, that's a good point. Obviously, he's super, super tall at six feet and seven inches. So I thought Hightower was obviously just a play on his name, but he's a massive, massive man. So Bubba Smith is famous by playing football. He played defensive end and defensive tackle for the Baltimore Colts. So he was the number one pick in 1967 draft. Here we have a a defensive end going number one. I mean, the guy was an absolute, absolute stud. Massive. He did play a year for the Oakland Raiders after the Colts. He played a year for the Houston Oilers after the Raiders. Um, But really, his time was spent from 67 to 72 on the Colts. Yep. He played with my favorite quarterback, Johnny Unitas, and they both left the Colts at the same time. Yeah, well, there's our connective tissue to a previous episode as well. The star of Gus, Johnny Unitas. And not only that, Bubba Smith was also in a TV show called Blue Thunder, which I think we're definitely going to have to track down, where he co-starred with Dick Butkus. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, he co-starred with Dick Butkus. Uh, Bubba played Bubba Kelsey, and Dick Butkus played Ski Butkowski, who were members of Rolling Thunder, who appears to be a police helicopter. Also has Dana Carvey in it. That's interesting. Well, I'll even go a step further. In 1984, Bubba Smith did Miller Lite commercials, and he did one with Dick Butkus. Oh, wow. Yeah, God rest both their giant souls. No, Dick's still around. I think we killed him off every time we've brought him up so far. Yeah, so in this Miller Lite commercial, both Butkus and Bubba Smith were polo players. I guess it was the joke because I can't imagine a horse that would hold either of them. They were both in matching yellow polo shirts. And then they do their whole thing about Miller Lite being great beer. And Butkus says, tomorrow we're going to try water polo. And Smith's like, I sure hope those horses can swim. And the whole bar erupts in laughter. And both of them turn around and look at the bar and everyone shuts up and puts their head down. Yeah, I like tastes great. And it's got a third less calories than a regular beer. And it's less filling. And that's important because tomorrow we're going to try our hand at water polo. Yeah, I sure hope those horses can swim. Me too. <laughs> It was a legit funny <laughs> commercial. You can see that. And obviously Dick Butkus comes from our Gus podcast episode. He was a character in that. There's the connective tissues, our seven degrees of separation. And even in that commercial, Bubba Smith towered over Dick Butkus. And Dick Butkus is huge. He's enormous. Yeah. So um, it just shows how, how large Bubba Smith was. Absolute man mountain. And in fact, they say after Hightower gets kicked out of the academy, if all the cops looked like him, there'd be no crime. Right. <laughs> exactly. So Bubba Smith, and this is the thing I don't, oh, Hightower, I should say. And this is the thing I didn't quite understand is Harris says to Mahoney, stop fucking around. You're ruining the chances of people who might make good cops. There is no one better at the Academy than Hightower. He's clearly the best cop there. And Harris chases him out of the Academy. I just don't get it. Like, it's not like he was a loose unit stuffing around. I think he's the first to go, which is ridiculous because he's yeah. he's huge. Like when they did the training drills, everyone's jumping over that wall. He just pushes the wall down. His whole shtick. And really, if I'm going to kind of do a commentary on the whole police Academy, the kind of the negative of it is I really feel a lot of the characters were extremely one-sided or, or almost kind of shallow. Yep. And Bubba Smith, who is actually, I think he's actually a very good actor in some of the things I've seen. But in this, his basic premise was, I'm big. Like, that was really it. I'm yep. big and I'm scary. As a police officer, I think that that kind of works. Yeah, they don't ask him to do a lot. He has a couple of scenes, the super famous scene of him driving the car or Mahoney teaching him to drive. He doesn't really have too many lines before that, except when he intimidates Blanks and Copeland after they make a racial slur. And we'll, we might get onto the number of slurs that are in this because um, there's a lot of that that wouldn't fly anymore. He stands up for hooks. I remember watching the commentary of Police Academy and Bubba Smith was talking about that, that scene where he stands up for hooks and flips the car as the, his favorite thing that he ever did on film. He said that there wasn't anything like it previously in films and there's not been a lot of it since. And he was super proud that he stood up for someone who was being racially vilified. Of course, that is his downfall and he, he ends up saving the day. The big florist Hightower comes in and is the hero of the piece and ends up back in the academy with a medal around his neck for bravery. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That scene was good. And the whole premise of the movie is kind of a contradiction to itself. The concept of Police Academy in general is the Police Academy opened itself up to every type of person to be hired. Where I guess before you had to kind of be a certain fit. They specifically say in their genders and color in the commentary, yep. they use that terminology. So essentially, and there's even like an opening scene where the guy's like, I remember when back in the day, we everyone was the right height, the right weight, the right gender and the right color yeah. and they all had johnson's <laughs> and it's like <laughs> that's right my goodness as he say johnson's as far as the eye can <laughs> see and you, and you get lasard which i think is one of his great lines is and what a wonderful sight it was back in the old days there were johnson's as far as the eye could see 
and what a lovely sight it was. I think it was also a play on that. They were commenting, I think, also on how ridiculous those standards were at the same time. Yep. Now, in our lifetime, everything's always been open. They're female cops and didn't matter what, what race or gender you are. Yes. Gender and racial inequality are a thing of the past here in 2022. <laughs> the, the commentary on it was was pretty good in itself. It's kind of like the idea that the show could be made off of that is horrific. But the idea that they commented how ridiculous that it's even a thing is kind of uh, a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it, funnily enough, there's an irony in on Wikipedia on the synopsis. It says the newly elected female mayor, as if it was some sort of hashtag get woke, go broke, cancel culture gone mad move by the mayor. But really, it's just the conceit to get these weirdos into the police game. It's the same as Stripes. And Stripes predates this by three years. Directed Connective Tissue, in a sense. Ivan Reitman, director of Drive Day. Ooh. Ding, ding, ding. Need to get a bell for that. And this is essentially Stripes in a different scenario. It's that classic outline plot of getting the misfits together. It's the mm. Animal House. It's the, the Mighty Ducks. Yep. School of Rock, if you want. Speaking of which, do you have a favorite misfit movie where misfits come together and dominate? They become a team? There's a lot of it in sports movies, so it's kind of hard to go past the water boy. Although he's kind of one misfit, a big misfit in a team of misfits. It probably is Police Academy, if I'm honest. It is my favorite of the misfits bandying together genre. But then, I mean, you could say Star Wars is as well. True. I was kind of thinking of like goofball failure style mm. misfits. Dodgeball? That's a good one. Dodgeball's a good one. And it's a good team of, of ragtag people coming together. I would think Sandlot falls into that group too. Yeah, I just Googled ragtag movies because this is a ragtag team and I like a ragtag team. And it's got there the Sandlot, the Longest Yard, Major League. Oh yeah, that's a good one too. Cool Runnings. What's the um, No Crying in Baseball? Oh, um... League of Their Own. League of Their Own. Yeah, good one. Good one. Are you crying? No. Are you crying? Oh. Are you crying? <laughs> There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. If I have to pick one, that's well-rounded one, I would say is Sandlot. Everyone can kind of relate to that. Well, not everyone, but I remember playing just with kids from the neighborhood. You know, you're just playing in a random field. I mean, they even had a baseball diamond. A lot of times we didn't. It's, it's just a cool coming of age story. So that's kind of a good one. If I'm going comedy, probably dodgeball. One of my favorite well, actually, is this a ragtag bunch film? Inglorious Bastards. Oh, that's an excellent one. Yeah, I suppose you could put that on there. Although they're all very cool. They are cool. They're all super cool. Phenomenal movie. Yeah, for sure. It's a little bit ragtag. It's certainly, you could say The Wizard of Oz is a ragtag film as well. Yeah, sure. X-Men, that's a bit ragtag. It's not quite schmoes against pros. Yeah. But I do like a ragtag film. Yeah. The Great Escape, there's a good old school one. Sure. And the 80s was really good at that. It was always the the nerds against the, oh, Revenge of the Nerds, right? I mean, that's a classic example. Mm. It's always the nerds against the cool people or the rich against the poor people. Or It was really a reoccurring theme. One thing that I feel that the Police Academy movies in general lacked was a lot of those movies were about unity and the team coming together to do something. I really feel like the Police Academy movies were siloed characters. Sure, they were together, but really outside of Hightower defending Hooks, there wasn't really much unity. Yeah. Quite a few people come to Mahoney with a problem and he helps them with their problem. A lot of 80s comedies, particularly early part of the 80s, are sort of vignettes. Like Caddyshack is sort of loosely tied together vignettes. This is loosely tied together vignettes. I had a third example, which escapes me. That's a, loose, uh, a loosely tied together collection of vignettes. It's my favorite one. Where there is kind of, <laughs> there is an underlying plot of sorts, but basically it's, you go from setup to set. It's a big screen sketch comedy. Yeah. And we get a bit of that with Hightower comes to him with a problem. Tackleberry comes to him with a couple of problems, particularly in the second one where Tackleberry goes to Mahoney because he's a virgin. I'm inexperienced in matters of a romantic nature. Tack, you've been with women before. Well, I've 
We've had one woman before. Well, not really. It's, come on, I've seen you walking in with girls. Well, to be precise, it's, come on. You're 28 years old. You're a man of the world. What are you... Mahoney, I'm a virgin. You people go about your business or I'll crack some heads. Barbara goes to Mahoney with problems. Barbara goes to Mahoney with the sex worker and we get Mahoney trying to hide her from, I think, just visiting dignitaries. And of course, she hides under the podium and gives uh, Commandant Lassard one of the more memorable speeches of his life. And it is quite funny to watch a, a man in his 70s, I suppose, go through his vinegar strokes. It would have been groundbreaking back in those days. Yeah, I think that was probably one of the best scenes out of all the movies. It was very well put together. I agree. What are some of the other scenes that you really like across, I guess, the, the first cup? Well, I think that that might have been one of my favorites. I will say this. I like a lot of, when I was a kid, I was a big fan of the Michael Winslow, the guy who does the sounds. I respect what he's able to do with it, even to this day. Mm -hmm. Like, I thought it was pretty cool. Have you seen his History of the Typewriter movie? I haven't. It's certainly a movie that I've seen, and he basically does the noises of typing on different typewriters through the ages. Wow. And it's just that. His skill is awesome. And that's how he got cast. He was doing a stand-up for, I believe, the casting director. Someone was out there and the sound died and he went down and he got a megaphone. Now, this was probably part of his act, but he got a megaphone and then he did the whole thing through a megaphone. And they basically were like, we're going to grab you and put you in this film. I remember him mostly from Spaceballs, uh, which is a yep. movie that I far more like over Police Academies. <laughs> I loved Spaceballs <laughs> and I watched it about a thousand times when they jam the radar and they actually shoot it with a giant jar of jam into the satellite. And he's like the the radio technician. And he's like, we lost the bleeps <laughs> and the sweeps and the creeps. And he starts doing all these noises for all of them. I'm having trouble with the radar, sir. What's wrong with it? I've lost the bleeps, I've lost the sweeps, and I've lost the creeps. The what? The what? And the what? You know, the bleeps. The sweeps. And the creeps. That's not all he's lost. As a kid, I liked him because, you know, I was a child. I found as an adult that, honestly, to be a little more campy and less interesting. I will say, though, Bobcat Goldweight, the character Zed, found hilarious still. I loved it. Really? I think it held up with time. He was just completely out of control, completely deranged. His comedy had so much misdirection in it. He's like, ah, like yelling and freaking out. He sprang aerosol into his mouth one second. And then the next he's <laughs> like, I don't want to ride the Ferris wheel. I'm, I'm scared of how high it gets. It was just a lot. That's a pretty of, good bobcat. Thank you. Thank you. It was on a whim. It was also sort of uh, Christopher Walken a little bit too. Good night, moon. Good night, moon. <laughs> My cow jumping over the moon. Um, wow. But it was classic 1980s Bobcat. I found him to be incredibly annoying. He has his moments, but he's also super... I found his shtick very grating, and I don't think they needed to bring him back for the third one, and he was just more annoying there. It was clearly like a decision we get that you get parried in the Simpsons a lot where you've got people sitting in a boardroom being like, well, we liked that guy. Can we get him back in somehow? I kind of feel like that was the way it was for all the characters. They were all kind of one-sided and it's kind of what I was saying about Michael Winslow's character. It was as a kid, I was like, oh, that's great. And I can respect the talent. But then I found him doing the do 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 and like all those little noises <laughs> the whole time. I'm like, come on. I <laughs> Very nice over it i'm like let's just jump to the next scene they had their beats and i think this is what let down some of the sequels because i think i mean the first one is the best of the bunch my favorite was always number three and i honestly think number two it's a better story i think it's more compelling but they just kind of go through the motions with so many characters like all right tackleberry has his you're ready now mr you're ready now mr hook says don't move dirtbag Jones does his noises. Hightower. Hightower doesn't have much to do at all in the second one. He's kind of just there. He's just big. Uh, it's really a Mahoney movie. Right. Just didn't have too much depth to it. Commandant Lassard was probably one of my favorite characters too. Yep. He was described by the creators as permanently out to lunch. A character that has the <laughs> least idea of what's going on and somehow saves the day. And I really like that. He nailed his part and it didn't seem to 
He seemed to oddly have more depth than some of the other characters. A little fun fact, Lazard is an anagram for lard ass, which is a really good yep. 80s movie burn. You just don't hear the term <laughs> lard ass anymore. It was thrown around in the 80s all the time. You get some of those in this first film, though. You get lard ass. Uh, obviously, dirtbag is one that comes up all the time in the series. First up, Mahoney gets called dickhead, which I think is still going around now. And then he, he goes from dickhead, which is, let's say, in the adult realm of, of swearing and, and cursing, to butt breath, which is something five or six-year-old might come up with. The guy with the toupee at the start calls him butt breath. And Mahomie's Mahoney, not Mahomey. He's my homie. Rightfully offended. We're, hang on. Let me get off track. Would, should Patrick Mahomes change his name to Patrick Mahoney? Absolutely, he should. I totally agree. Yeah, I think he's rightfully offended. Because it's such a bad burn. Yeah. Throughout the show, the scale of insults are are like that. Maybe that was just the 80s. Maybe that was the way it was. Maybe we could bring back butt breath as an insult. I quite like from Teen Wolf when he has the shirt that says, what are you looking at? Dick nose. <laughs> That's quite good. I always found that funny. <laughs> Never caught on as an insult, but uh, pretty solid. Before we move on to covering just the rest of the franchise here. We've talked about Tackleberry playing the sax, which is fantastic, ladies. I'm going to be somebody, which is the final, it's the, the song at the end of the movie as they're all walking past saluting. I was listening to that when you came on, we started recording. That is an absolute banger of a song. And in an era where there are great songs attached to movies, like I'm All Right with Caddyshack and some of those ones, I feel like I'm going to be somebody doesn't get the right amount of love that maybe it should. Yeah, when you played it, I instantly remembered it. Not yep. as much as the Ghostbusters theme song or the Caddyshack theme song or yep. any of those. The era of creating theme songs with movies has died out. Probably with Will Smith and the Wild Wild West. The Wild Wild West. When I roll into the Wild Wild West. When I stroll into the Wild Wild West. When I bounce into the Wild Wild West. It's Somewhere around. He used to just see, sing the plot of the film. He'd go, Walking in the street, and here comes Kevin Klein. Ha ha, ho ho. I'm gonna kill aliens with Tommy Lee Jones. Ho hoo, ha ha. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And in fact, we could get totally sidetracked with this. The 80s and 90s had some quality, often unrelated to the plot, songs. You've got How Do I Live Without You from Con Air, All for One, All for Love from The Three Musketeers, Everything I Do, I Do It For You, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. You have Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls from City of Angels. Uh, as you say, like Ghostbusters, obviously awesome theme. We've talked about I'm All Right. We've talked about this one. Power of Love from Back to the Future. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. You don't really have, even like My Heart Will Go On, sneaky good song. Yeah. Danger Zone, Top Gun. Oh. Take My Breath Away too. Top Gun just had a good soundtrack, really. Absolutely. I think we're missing some of that these days. Or maybe, you know, maybe we're just not in the frame for these songs that are attached to movies. Let me throw this out here. When Police Academy came out, the first one made $81 million, right? Roger Ebert gave it zero stars. I get that. Yeah, but it made $81 million. It was number one in the box office for five weeks. And it was kind of shocking to me. And I was like, well, what else was going on in that year, 1984? You know the movies that came out in 1984? Beverly Hills Cop, Ghostbusters, Ooh. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Gremlins, then Police Academy, then Footloose. Uh, Moonstruck was in there somewhere. Let me ask you a question. All those movies, they're all blockbuster classic movies. Do movies just suck today? I think there's a lot of movies that just, I'm not sure they wouldn't get made. I think now they just live on Netflix. This is, for me, like maybe a, a second golden age of Hollywood. Yeah, actually, 1984, the same month that Gremlins came out. And in terms of, I think this is just a hot pot of, well, we can look at this two ways. One, we remember the stuff that endured, like the best stuff still is part of our lives, like Police Academy and Ghostbusters and all those things. Gremlins came out the same month as Born in the USA, 
fantastic album. Not even the best album that came out that month, Purple Rain. Right. Yeah, I didn't include Purple Rain on the list. All in the same month. The movie as well. Speaking of movies that are problematic when viewed through the modern lens. Right. But they that is an all-time year for pop culture. It's absolutely true. Maybe it's just defining for people of our generation. Yeah, I suppose it could be. What made that kind of trigger was the fact, oh, well, movies don't really have connections to songs anymore. And movies were built a little bit differently back then. A lot of those have been made and remade. I mean, obviously Ghostbusters has been remade a bunch. Footloose has been remade. A lot of these older movies have been recycled, which I hate it when that happens personally. You stumbled onto something here and we're probably both unprepared to talk about this because there's been talk for years of a Police Academy 8th movie, a reunion. Apparently as of 2018, it's still in the works. They talked about recasting Hightower, maybe Hightower's son as Shaquille O'Neal, which I think works. Who would you want to see in these roles? Oh, that is tough. How about you? You got anybody? He's probably a bit too old. He's not that much younger than Steve Gutenberg, I don't think. But I could see like a Paul Rudd as a Mahoney, a bit more of a family-friendly Mahoney. Yeah. That cheeky, lovable kind of character. Actually, if we're talking about 1984 being like a genesis with so many comedy movies, you see that connective tissue coming out in the movies, the Wedding Crashes kind of era, Judd Apatow's prime, because those guys would have grown up on some of these movies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there was kind of a second wave. I'm so far out of touch with who the lead comedic actors are in this day and age. I would guess maybe you'd get a Tiffany Haddish as like a hooks. Oh yeah, for sure. You could go Ghostbusters style and just make it all women and end up with Leslie Jones as Hightower. This is again, such an old man thing to say, you could never make it today. And for good reason as well. There is a lot in this. I mean, at one point Mahoney says sleepings for fags. Again, the hero of the movie is... (laughs) An, an undesirable person. Right, 100%. Imagine you could have a bit of fun with it. Maybe you make something like, maybe Steve Gutenberg is the commandant now. Yeah. Do one of the things that, it's not like a reboot, but a continuation. That seems to be really popular these days. They did it with Scream. They did it with Ghostbusters. And honestly, I think it works really well. If you're going to take an old plot and try to reinvent it for the generation, I guess, because you can't think up anything new. I'm talking to any director or student director out there come up with something new or just get another (laughs) job if you're gonna have to regurgitate an idea then carrying it on and doing like the the later reboot continuation i think is probably good and that's the only way i think that this would work is if they took an old gutenberg as the commodore this time and had the new incoming class yeah and you end up with hightower's son who might be you know maybe he's the central character and it's uh He's probably a bit old for now, but like a Donald Glover or someone like that. I love that. And it centers around his adventures. Yeah, I just don't know who's popular off the top of my head. I'd end up with Tom Holland is all characters. Yeah. (laughs) Chalamet. Except for Zendaya. Zendaya. Yep. (laughs) Zendaya is Zed. Zoe Kravitz. We've talked about characters being one note. And that's certainly that thing is it is one note throughout. In the same sense as, as a Kim Cattrall in Sex and the City, there's another character in Police Academy who we'd be remiss not to mention. And that is the Blue Oyster Bar. Again, a joke that just exists because <laughs> gay people are funny. And they keep that sound note, or the sound drop of... <laughs> it is still, I think now... You could say the Blue Oyster Bar to people of a certain age. I'm not recommending you make this joke because it's homophobic, but I could guarantee you could use that as a punchline for people in their 40s and they would find it very funny. Not inappropriate. It is an inappropriate joke. I'm speaking to you, listener. I'm looking down the camera now. You can't tell this. This is an audio medium. Yes. Do not make this joke. But if you were, people would find that funny if they were of a certain age. His eyes were very, very narrow. He was pointing directly at the camera. (laughs) The Blue Oyster Bar does show up a bunch of times. I think it may be eight times across the first three, four movies. If you're unfamiliar, that is the stereotypical leather gay bar that the sort of villains of the film tend to end up in. We see a brawl in there in the second one that Hightower breaks up. Proctor ends up in there a couple of times. Blanks and Copeland end up in there a couple of times. It's only one of the only repeat jokes besides the characters 
one-liners, yep. Tackleberry constantly shooting things with a gun too big and shooting things he shouldn't. So these kind of things are repeat jokes, but this is really the only kind of callback that they do in all the movies. The first one, he told the antagonist, goofy, doofy recruits that were working for Harris that that's where the party was and they roll in. What I did kind of like in a sense is they just forced them to dance every time that they went in there. And they did have professional yep. dancers, so they danced, like, well. <laughs> like, they were forcing these guys to, like, do the tango every time they came in. And that was the premise of the joke. So, um, again, not one that you want to bring up with your friends or family. Not appropriate. Entirely inappropriate. Highly inappropriate. Well, the first one, it's a two-layer joke, because they go in there, you get the do 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 And they force them to dance the tango. And then at the end, it cuts back and it's, will you still love me tomorrow? And both Blanks and Copeland are sort of cuddled up on these, these large, um, large leather bound gay men uh, really having a good time. But again, inappropriate joke in today's lens, but you know, that, that's the humor of it. Yeah. Let's talk about the first film draft style first. Where is that as an isolated property on our draft scale? Our draft system, for those of you that are new, is we draft every movie or show that we're talking about like the NFL. We do rounds one to seven, or it can be undrafted. So basically, we have a scale of one to eight. I am going to put Police Academy at sixth round. Watching it again, it has a few good chuckles. If I'm being completely honest, I don't find it overall funny. I go in and I have a few chuckles here and there. The first one was pretty good. The third one was was probably my favorite. And I mentioned how I like Bobcat in them. But really, I just feel this was kind of a money-making franchise. Once a year, they dumped this out as a commodity. 80s was really good at doing that. It made a good lunchbox. And really, any child that was born in the 80s or around the 80s, early 90s, is going to have a connection with this movie. So it does have nostalgia to it. And there are some classic moments that I think really hit culture. That's why I'm going to put it at the sixth, sixth round. I'm going to say it's a fifth round, largely for that same reason i don't know why i love it but i do it's no there's so much of it that no longer is appropriate i think if you showed it to people unless they had a real nostalgia bent like younger people they're not probably going to enjoy it and i don't think it does anything groundbreaking either other than that scene with hightower and hooks i think it is very much a product of everything else going on in the 80s that they mushed it together it's a knockoff of stripes and i'll give you an analogy here if we talk about Ghostbusters and Beverly Hills Cop and some of these great 80s movies as Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue and these great hair metal bands of the 80s, Police Academy is poison in that it's fine. There's some good moments. Poison has some high points as well, but they are as cookie cutter as it comes. They're just an 80s hair metal band. I mean, there's plenty of those going around. You could even say this is like Skid Row. That's probably a little bit harsh. In the movies, every rose has its thorns. If you're going to look at it like this, <laughs> when I watch a movie, I want to feel like someone's pouring some sugar on me. In the name yeah. of love. You're looking for nothing but a good time? <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying Poison don't have good songs, but it's like they're very much a product of everything else going on around them. Right. It's Jinko jeans in the 90s. It's when you look back, mm. you're like, man, I would never wear those now. But at the time, people just put them on and they were everywhere. Yeah, these really were everywhere. And we've, talk we've talked about it being a money-making franchise. I really don't think it made this much money. But it's so funny that it's like a modern idea of franchising. I guess Warner Brothers, to a degree, are still chasing, playing around with the DC universe and all that sort of stuff. All they want is a franchise, and they still haven't hit. They've been chasing it since the 80s. Yeah. Between the second one, we get introduced to Mauser and Proctor. Who do you prefer, Mauser or Harris? Who's a better antagonist? For me, it's Harris all the way. All the way. So thinking back on my youth, I remembered him as the main antagonist of the series, probably because he was in more of them, but I really didn't remember Mauser at all that much. Yep. They essentially played the exact same role. They just switched him out. And even when they added Proctor, who was like the dim-witted goon sidekick for Mauser, they literally just switched out Harris and made Proctor his goon in the following movie. Mm. It also could have been the fact I like G.W. Bailey more. I didn't watch MASH, but 
He was in MASH. I certainly saw Short Circuit. He was in that. He was in Man Again. So he was just around a lot more in movies. And then plus he had his catchphrase, move it, move it, move it. Move it, move it, move it. <laughs> that kind of stuck with me. <laughs> I agree. It's Harris for me as well. I really like G.W. Bailey. I think he's far more compelling. I do think the pranks they pull on Mauser are better. Gluing his hands to his hair. I think in the third one, they put like hair remover all over him. He ends up in a wig. Mauser I find less compelling. Proctor really annoys me as well. Oh yeah, he's awful. I prefer Blanks and Copeland, the two kind of dim-witted duo in the first one, to Proctor for sure. And in fact, Blanks and Copeland are back in the third one. Yeah, Mauser's all right. I used to work for a guy who looked like Mauser, which I found tremendously funny. He was he was a real arsehole, so I don't mind calling him out. He and his wife, he, he used to tell us he, they never had kids and instead trained birds to ride skateboards. Again, he would have loved Police Academy because he had horribly antiquated views on the LGBTQI plus community. The one redeeming quality I think Mauser has is the way he spells out his name when he's first introduced. M as in man, A-U-S as in Sam, E-R. Who is spelling out their name with like phonetic spelling in it, but not every letter? Robert Lozier. Look, it's Robert Lozier. (laughs) It's the only other one I could think of. But yeah, it's Harris all the way for me as well. And I think that shows that Mauser's in two films and Harris is kind of around for everything from four onwards. Are there any moments in, as we, well, we've talked about, I think two is a better film. I quite like Mahomey. Uh, Mahomey. He's my homie. Mahoney when he goes undercover as a gang member, as as Jughead. Bobcat's mother's name. My mother's name. Yeah. Ugh, you got a name. What do they call you? Jughead. Jughead. My, my mother's name is Jughead. <laughs> there is that disgusting scene where he meets his new partner, the cat has used his breakfast cereal as a litter bowl and the guy just flicks him out and then eats the cereal. Ugh, yeah, that guy was gross. I didn't care for any scene with that character in it all. His whole premise was that he was just disgusting. He ate a Snickers bar with ants on it. I don't I don't care for that. Yeah. Tackleberry is good in the second one. He meets Kirkland and from that weird family that beat each other up. That's a running joke in the second one, uh, in the third one as well. That gets old very quickly. Absolutely. But it's certainly dialed to 11, that family who are always wailing on each other. When it continued into the third one, I kind of liked it. It was kind of short-lived. It was just for the intro. The son's like punching the dad as he goes away. But yeah, you're right. It's just kind of your basic slapstick. I think I'm with you. My favorite was the third one. Yep. The third one took all the characters from the first one. It added new characters. Like the second one wasn't even at a police academy. So the third one kind of brought it back to its roots a little bit. And then the stakes were higher. They were competing against one of the academies had to close down. So you had Mahomes Academy with Lassard competing against Mauser's Academy. Kind of had that classic 80s trope again of, oh, hey, the nerds got to fight to keep the academy open. (laughs) But I will say this, the fourth one had a ton of stars. It had Sharon Stone in it. David Spade had his first acting role in it. Yep. And David Spade was a skater and he wore Bones Brigade shirts and his stunt double was Tony Hawk. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is awesome. Young Tony Hawk. Popping up in movies like Gleaming the Cube and Police Academy 4. That's awesome. Yeah, and I love skateboarding as a job. Did people go up to him and ask him if he was Tony Hawk and just thought he looked a bit like Tony Hawk? That seems to be everything that happens to him these days. That's what happens to him now. Yeah, I don't think back then people knew it as much, you know? Maybe they did. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they're asking if he's David Spade. Because that was his first movie out there, but he was he was connected with Saturday Night Live. I'm not sure if he was in SNL before that movie or not. I would think afterwards, SNL, right? Uh, after, yeah. Because I remember him from what I like to call the golden era of SNL. David Spade, Mike Myers, and Will Ferrell was still there, and all those guys. It was a good, good time. Yeah, the, the early 90s, certainly the golden era as far as I'm concerned. The third one, 
has one of the quotes that I found I used quite a bit in an old job. And in fact, from the man himself, Bubba Smith Hightower, when they are doing the training exercise where they need to throw the smoke grenade through the window and Hightower just pegs it and it goes through the door. And I think it's either Blanks or Copeland says, nice throw, Hightower. And he turns around and he goes, went in, didn't it? <laughs> and that is... That went in, didn't it, is a line I used to use quite a bit at my old job when people are, well, you should have done something this way. You shouldn't have done it that way. Went in, didn't it? Can we circle back and talk about Bubba Smith a little bit more? We can do whatever you like. This is our podcast. Oh, I love that. I would say, like Kevin Costner is the sports movie actor. I think Bubba Smith is the Hmm. sports person gone actor. He was in so much stuff. He was in The Odd Couple. Wonder Woman, BJ and the Bear, Charlie's Angels, Taxi, Mr. Belvedere, MacGyver, who's the boss, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Gremlins 2. He was in this great scene in Married with Children where he stole Al's trophy and then they battle in the school hallway to get it back because Al Bundy was a big quarterback. Took it because it belongs to me. That was our championship. He never made it past that goal line. I dropped you like third period French. (laughs) Your knee was down. What's up? What's two? What's not? What's two? Not two. Not two. Wait a second. What were we talking about? If you have a chance, watch it. It's actually good acting from Bubba Smith, as opposed to the police academy where he just gets these one-liners, look at me, I'm huge. He really was all over the 80s and 90s as an actor. He's certainly the best actor of all the former footballers we've seen so far. We haven't really seen too many. We've seen Johnny Yu and we've seen Dick Butkus. I quite like Hightower. He's got a very compelling energy to him. What about Rob Gronkowski? No, he was terrible. Terrible. He was absolutely terrible. You're absolutely right. And another little connective thing for the seven degrees of separation is he also made appearance in Family Matters, which we know from our Gus episode, Don Knotts made a guest appearance as Barney Fife in Family Matters, which ties Gus and TGIF together from our Friends episode. Wow. That is very impressive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going wild with the seven degrees. <laughs> Bubba Smith, are you aware that he did an, an aerobics video in 1985? I did not know that. Oh, well, you're in for, I don't know if I want to say a treat. It's as entertaining as it is jarring. The aerobics video is called Until It Hurts, and he's in the center <laughs> of the room. We're talking mid-80s, huge, towering over everyone. He's wearing spandex, which is primarily just the leggings, but he has these tiny less-than-an-inch straps, like suspenders that go over his shoulder, and he's doing a workout. It's an 80s workout video, so they hadn't quite perfected how these aerobic videos go, so everyone's caked (laughs) in makeup, but they're still all screaming and struggling. They're covered in sweat, and when they're done doing their push-ups, they all collapse like they're in a boot camp. But remember, in order to get to it, you've got to go through it. I love you, and welcome to Until It Hurts. It is jarring, jarring to say the least. It's worth a watch. I will have to look that up. Absolutely. Now you are a native of Charm City. Born and raised. On Bubba Smith's Wikipedia page here, says he was the longtime spokesman of Baltimore area law firm Cohen, Snyder, Eisenberg, Katzenberg. Do you remember Bubba Smith doing these commercials? And how does he compare to Peter Griffin doing the ad for Wilkins, Hyundai, and Subaru? I do remember. I remember especially the law firms. They've all changed names since then. People have dropped off and joined. But I vaguely remember Bubba Smith in local commercials. He would pop up from time to time. He's a hometown hero. I like that. I like that. He's out of Texas, born in Orange, Texas, 1945. Passed away, sadly, at 66 in 2011. Rest in peace, Bubba. Unfortunately, he was diagnosed with an acute drug intoxication, phetamine, which at the time was used, I don't know if they still use it, but it was used for weight loss, but it increased your heart rate and your blood pressure. They said that his heart was twice the size of a normal heart. Makes sense, because he was twice the size of a normal man. Yeah, and he just had a lot of love. Just a lot of love, Bubba Smith. Retrospectively, they diagnosed him with CT. Yeah, I think it's basically hard to get out of the game without it, sadly. 
Right. And especially back then, they certainly didn't have the equipment that they even have now. And we hear about players having this all the time. So they think that that really had the biggest effect. I think he was in stage three of four of the brain as it goes through that. So it's a nice, nice, happy note to. Uh... Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to end it on, on on such a sad note, but um, you know, it really just kind of points out some of the issues with CTE. He was a he was a good man. Everyone kind of looks back at him fondly. He was an incredible athlete. As far as I'm concerned, he was a very good actor. Our sports actor, Baltimore hometown hero. Rest in peace. We are clearly not massive fans of Police Academy. I think we're okay with it, but. I think we are probably bigger fans of Police Academy than most of the people who would watch it these days. And I found this review on IMDb and I, it stuck out to me because it was done on the 14th of April, 2022. And I thought, oh, someone else been diving into this this one. I won't read it all out because it's, it's quite long. But this person clearly fancies themselves as a movie reviewer because all their reviews are very, very long. It starts off by saying, Steve Gutenberg can be funny. He is funny. Some of his roles are hilarious. I liked him a lot in Three Men and a Baby. Yep. Yep. Pretty good film. Also, we're going to come back to Steve Gutenberg because he's in Ballers. We skip forward a little bit here. Police Academy follows a bunch of obnoxious, self-absorbed, insufferable misfits who enter the police academy and their instructors who struggle to keep up with all the pranks and stupid situation. Pretty accurate. Chuck. And then we kind of get into his real, this person's real gripes. He doesn't think they've put into effort to write actual jokes. And he says, and to think some people have seen this, wanted their time here, but have never seen such, I think he means wasted, have never seen such comic masterpieces such as Bringing Up Baby, His Girl Friday, or for that matter, The Thin Man. People went to see this movie instead. They laughed. They thought it was funny. It's not funny. No, 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 no. The movie sucks. The screenplay is terrible. Not a single situation is well written. The direction from Hugh Wilson is awful. There is no direction. All of it is really just a collection of stupid gags disguised as a direction piece. Bloated doesn't begin to describe the mess. The performance is even worse. G.W. Bailey's The Captain is absolutely awful. He's unwatchable. And then there's a certain jo- and there's a certain joy when he's off screen. Oh my. But just when you think you're safe, Gutenberg appears and is talentless in this. Kim Cattrall is also bad. She's just a vulgar, dim, and stupid character. What are they doing in this garbage dump? Here we go. But the worst is Bubba Smith. He plays football. He doesn't act. The movie doesn't even try to make him funny either. He's just a tall, buff man who acts like a tall, buff man. No ideas, nothing new, nothing of worth. He is not funny. This is a fairly harsh review. I'd like to find that person. I'd like to hit them. I'm not going to tell you who it was because everyone is entitled to their opinion. There's some I do agree with with that. I don't agree with the... Bubba Smith. I don't think that there was a problem with, I mean, look, he's not a born actor. He's a, he's a born football player Mm. moments down the road where he had more of an opportunity to do speaking lines and stuff. I think he did actually very well with them. You know, obviously he's not winning any Academy awards here, but the police Academy really didn't give him that opportunity. And I actually think that Harris was one of the better actors and written characters in this. Yeah. I mean, they're all fine. No, there's no three dimensional characters. Mahoney goes through a bit of growth. I guess Hightower does too. Hooks does, in fact. Actually, all of the kind of central cast in this one go through a bit of growth. They just don't in any of the future movies. Right. Even Sweet Chuck. We, we haven't really talked about him. He's so annoying. So annoying. I agree. That we can yep. definitely agree with. Another SNL alum, Tim Kazurinsky. He didn't last very long. I think we should wrap up unless you have any other further thoughts about Police Academy. I'm going to leave you with a fun little fact. Okay. If you don't, I do not. Let's let's wrap it. So around the time I was big into Police Academy, the height of Police Academy, I was also big into NFL Street. I think it might have been NFL Street 2. And in my creator team, I created Police Academy, the characters as my NFL Street team. And I had Mahoney as the quarterback. I had Bubba Smith uh, on the defensive line, uh, Hightower on the defensive line. I think Fackler was a wide receiver. Jones was a running back. Harris was a middle linebacker. Absolutely awesome. I remembered that when we were doing this and I wish that I had all of this stuff because this is how into it I was. I created Police Academy in a video game and that was my creator team. That is truly amazing. I wish I could see it too. I know, right? I, I love it. I think that'd be great. Me too. Barbara was an offensive lineman. We only really see him in this one. That's great. I think uh, George Martin might have been a wide receiver. I'm sure we'll come back to the NFL Street Series. I thought you might enjoy that as a fun little capper for this Police Academy episode. So if we've covered everything you absolutely want to talk about for Police Academy, why don't you tell the good people where they can find you? So you can find me on Twitter at Justin underscore B if you want to just rap or chat. 
If you want to see some design work or web work or need some design work or web work, you can go over to justin-b.com. That's awesome. I've just remembered as well a story that I forgot to tell. I've been arrested once in my life. Uh, we don't need to go into why, but I was arrested and was talking to the police officers in the back of the car. And I said to them, I thought about becoming a police officer because I was a big fan of Police Academy. What do you guys think of the film? One of them hadn't seen it. The other guy really loved it. He said, nothing like the film if that's what you're after. So there we go. That is straight from the um, from the pig's mouth. Shout out to all our law enforcement. <laughs> I probably could have guessed that it was nothing like the film. You're just trying to make conversation yeah. at the time, sitting in the back of a squad car. Yeah, definitely a way to lighten the mood for sure. They, they were two very nice officers and thankfully nothing came of, of that arrest. But uh, if you want to get in touch with me and talk to the criminal genius uh, there, you can reach out on Twitter. I am at she and solo. You can follow the podcast at screen you later on Instagram. You can get in touch with the show at screen you later at gmail.com. Ask us anything, send us recommendations. We will probably read it out on the show. As you guess, we don't have a hell of a lot of content. So, Justin, get us out of here. Screen you later, dirtbag. <laughs>